0: Hi, welcome to the Trauma Thrivers podcast. Delighted to have you with us. I'm Lula Bentz, your host, a psychotherapist, a trauma expert, and a survivor myself. Lovely to have you with us. The Trauma Thrivers podcast is for anybody who has been through any sort of developmental trauma or who has complex PTSD. This podcast aims to help educate, inspire and support those of us that are on a trauma healing journey. We've got stories, steps and various solutions to trauma to help you heal. If you'd like more information or tips or tools or strategies, please go to traumathrivers.com. You can also find this podcast on my youtube channel lula Bent's trauma thrivers if you'd like to join our community of thrivers please find us on facebook under trauma thrivers hi everyone today i'm really happy to introduce you to diana varco Diana is an improviser turned advocate who uses lived experience and creativity to create conversations about mental health. She's written an amazing one-woman show called Shattered, which is a dark comedy where she uses the narrative the characters and the flashback of 35 different voices where she wants to raise basically awareness about the psychological fallout of sexual assault. So today I'm delighted to give her a voice on Trauma Thrivers and to introduce you to her. Diana, welcome. Thank you for joining the podcast.
1: Oh my gosh, thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. Oh, oh,
0: pleasure, pleasure. Listen, I'm going to start in the usual place. Everybody that's listened to the podcast up to now always knows that I start with. How did you get into trauma or mental health or even writing your show, which we're going to go on and talk about? Like, what's a bit about your story?
1: I think a big piece of my story is that this is a story that I never intended to tell. And I never really expected to tell, uh, my solo show, Shattered. Um, I grew up in the theater. I love the stage. Um, I was in Los Angeles for a long time studying improv and sketch comedy. And I I just wanted to be like, you know, funny and silly. Um, and unfortunately, I also at the same time was um, coping with having survived a sexual assault. And um, so it was this very, um, these two worlds, basically, where I was, I was going through really intense therapy treatment. And then I was also going on stage and acting like, you know, a bumblebee in a flower and (laughs) so many silly things. Um, And then it really came to a point in, um, after several years of, of, of trying to heal and of, you know, working on my career where the two came together and I started to write my solo show and I started to apply all of my comedy background to finally step into my story, which is my solo show, Shattered. And um, it's uh, it's been a really amazing journey where I've um, honed my performance skills, but also really gotten to know myself much more in depth and in the process, gotten to learn a lot more about mental health theory and healing. So in some ways, it picked up the baton of what my therapists were working with me on. And I was able to um, kind of go on self-discovery. And it's so interesting because a lot of the things I've learned in improv, I also find parallels in things that I've done with uh, with my therapists and wow. the I've gone to. So it's really oh. fascinating.
0: Could you how, talk, talk more about that? Because that is fascinating. I'd love to hear about the parallels.
1: Yeah, it's so... You know, I think that um, theater, so I started doing theater as a child and it's really fascinating to me because I, it was just something I always took for granted. You know, just being on the stage and learning lines and going into these emotional moments and the backstory of the characters, all these things that we do as actors. So it wasn't until really this year that I um, read The Body Keeps the Score by Vessel van der Kolk. And um, there's a whole chapter on theater. And I was like, oh, this has been a container for me my whole life that was, um, uh, you know, gave me the ability to feel things that me as a human, Diana, couldn't speak, couldn't feel, you know, stepping into a character that was um, experienced revenge. Like me as Diana, there was too much in my life to really let in. Um, And that was... Interesting because that was even after I've done my show. Um, but it's, it's really also interesting to me that as I've gone to, um, I went to a training on play therapy and they were talking about the necessity for uh, infants and children to have the back and forth to develop relationships. And I'm like, oh, we did that in improv. So improv was like a safe space for me okay. to give and receive. Whereas yeah. in my human life, it's not always safe for me to let information in, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, it makes complete sense because I think we have in therapy, and I don't know, I'd love to hear what kind of different types of therapy and maybe going back to the Bessel van der Kolk book. I don't think I said, Diana, when we were speaking before we kind of went live. My my training for about six years of my childhood was at drama school. Oh, yes. yeah. Yeah. So so I never went on to actually become an actress, but I did go to drama school for years. And that was my dream. And I often think back to it now and think it's very interesting that as an actor, an actress, you know, in all the parts that I've played, you can stand on stage as a very different representational character and do and feel and say things that you would never say in your ordinary self you know and so I I I think that parts of us start to show up in different characters whereas those parts or those feelings or those yeah different aspects of ourselves aren't quite integrated into Lou or Diana or and and that's really the work isn't it that's the that's the piece and the integration piece that we need to do
1: yes Yes, uh, yes, I, I definitely resonate with that. Yeah, I definitely resonate with that, and it's so interesting because I, um, I love playing villains. Like oh. I think they're so fun to play, and in my my show, it's um, I play a lot of different characters, but um, one of the main characters is Shame, and that for me is a very fun character because I can step into uh, a lot of things that me as Diana doesn't can't. I, I can't say certain things. But um, yeah, it's so interesting to me um, that even in doing all these parts I've played along the way, and, and even in my show, um, the hardest character to play up to that point, up to this point, has been me yes. as narrator. Yes. And so people ask me often what the most the hardest part is, and it was shocking to me when I was like, oh, it's it's myself. But as I've gone through this process, I really love who I am showing up in the world.
0: Beautiful. Yeah. And 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 how did you write the play and write the voices and work out the, is it 35 different characters or how, how did you do all of that?
1: Yeah, it's about 35 characters and it's told through, through narration, um, flashback and the voices of the mind. So uh, the shattered psyche and um, again I did not ever intend to write this but I uh, I was assaulted early into my years in Los Angeles and I would be in the comedy world and um, my peers were joking about rape constantly and I would go to stand-up rooms and I would I literally wait for the rape jokes I leave I take a breath I come back uh, you know I it was so prevalent and it was so re-traumatizing because I just wanted my career. And I think that, I think often with, um, you know, assault, we don't talk about the things that people lose. And although I have created my show, I lost the career and the trajectory trajectory I expected. So I was in the comedy world for about seven years, trying to like, you know, Go to therapy, trying to heal, and then going to classes and being in rape scenes. And I was like, this is so ridiculous. And I wanted to write something comedic that would answer. Um, and I tried various forms I tried sketch, I tried stand up, I tried different things. And um, I met a life coach uh, in 2015, and she started to just lead me in journal writing. And I started to open up these magical worlds of processing my feelings. And then in 2017, I wrote I met my director and I realized that I had no, I had no more excuses. I had to start writing my show. Yeah. So I was like, well, we're gonna step into this and see where it takes us. So I set a date, which I highly recommend because otherwise I would never have done it. And um, I set a date that was about two months out, which I do not recommend because I wrote the show in like a pressure cooker setting. Oh, and i didn't know how i didn't know how i was going to tell the story i knew that there were going to be certain pinpoints i knew i of course was going to deal with the assault and i definitely wanted to focus on the psychological impact because i didn't i thought in my heart i was like if people understood how deeply this affects an individual they wouldn't do it like that that's what i really wanted to come forward with and i also knew that i would have to in doing that, I would have to talk about other earlier moments and other other like, not minor violations, but other forms of violation that that lead into the consent conversation. Yep. And I knew the biggest piece that I didn't want to talk about was my childhood, which does deal with um, adverse childhood experiences, domestic violence, um, a lot of a lot of things that I didn't want to bring out into the world but i knew i had to in order to answer the dramatic question which is why can't i have relationships yeah that's how that's the jumping off point for the the show is why why do i avoid relationships yeah and um so i was sitting in this chair which is my writing chair and i literally was praying i was praying i was like i need to tell this very big story that i've never told anybody what am i going to do and i was praying And right then shame walked into my mind, the character, and then the character of denial came to meet shame. And then to answer denial and shame came truth, which I didn't really know truth. Like I didn't really know my inner truth of what I felt. Yeah. So um, it was fascinating. And then from there, as I approached each of my little vignettes, different characters of the mind popped in to comment. And as I've gone along with the show, one of the most important aspects of it is I'm able to connect with my inner truth. Like I'm able, when I have that voice of shame circling behind me and like reprimanding me or saying things, um, I'll be able to be like, whoa, what do I actually think? Yeah. And I tap it and I, it's it's been like profound for me.
0: Amazing, amazing how so you wrote the show in two months yes okay and then and then the the, there's the 35 different characters in it are some of the characters uh emotions like one is shame and and you know so they're different either emotions or characters
1: yes yes okay and some of them are just like one off Um, I use, I use the device of montage a lot, which montage is like, you know, one liners that come in from like a character in order to build out the world. So um, especially as I mentioned, I was in the comedy world and I got a lot of comments. I got a lot of rape jokes that were happening. And so I'll do um, a montage to give, you know, those one liners off to build out the world, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah, because in the show to like go through all of the experiences.
0: <laughs> no, no, because you've included mainly in the show the sexual assault, but not the whole childhood stuff yet.
1: Y- yes, yes, yeah, because and I think at the time of writing the show, it, I really wasn't conscious of what I was even trying to do. Um, I just knew I needed to get the story out and I knew that I wanted to get specifically the psychological impact of the sexual assault out. Um, I think that like I was very authentic to what I thought and what I felt at the time and I think that um, I don't always know how it will land with audiences but that's part of the point is that it's, it's ugly because trauma recovery is not pretty.
0: No, it's definitely things we
1: actually say to ourselves are really ugly. Yeah, Um, and that might just be me. But as I talk to people more and more, it's not the case. Yeah. Um, But no, it doesn't. It doesn't focus as much on the childhood. It gives. um, It gives bits and pieces of like why I might react be reacting this way in relationships. Um, It gives enough context, but not the full uh, unpacking because I haven't really worked on that. As much as I did the sexual assault, yeah. Um, But I'm starting to write my next chapters, and those are stepping into more the the childhood, yeah. So shattered,
0: shattered part two.
1: Yeah, yeah, and it's it's there's a lot to it. Um, But I'm also writing in a much more slow, uh, mindful way because it's out of necessity that I really need to take care of myself and and you know go in a slower, more paced way.
0: Yeah. So have you performed it in front of audiences and what's the feedback about about it and about the dark places? Because, you know, sometimes we can't avoid, as you say, in trauma recovery, going into those dark places, you know, and people need to hear about the impact of trauma and particularly the impact of sexual assault.
1: Yeah, it's, um, it's really been shocking to me. I've performed, so I premiered it in 2017 and then I performed it at different uh, festivals in Los Angeles, the LA Women's Theater Festival and Hollywood Fringe. I took it to New York for Unite Solo and then I took it to Edinburgh uh, Festival Fringe in 2019,
0: nice. which I
1: love, I love Edinburgh so much. The reactions have been very interesting to me. Um, I get so many people afterwards that come up to me and, and say me too. And it's really, um, it's really, it's really hard to see the numbers coming out and the stories they tell me. And it's just like I knew it was happening, even though a, a good degree of of my time before I wrote the show, I felt very alone because it wasn't really a mainstream conversation. Um, and then, of course, me, the, me Too was popularized and exploded in 2018, so it's yeah. much more part of the conversation now. Yeah. Um, but I'm really surprised at how many people come up afterwards um, and how many people have gone on to write their own shows and yeah. produce their own work. And um, the overwhelming majority is, is very uh, impacted and, and uh, grateful and very impressed with the theatrical presentation. Um, yeah. I definitely have gotten people that have said, you shouldn't say that, or this is too much. Um, and they you know, there are a voice here and there, but it also, I think that's another part of trauma or part of mm-hmm. human condition is that we can have 99% of people telling us they love us, but that 1% is what we listen to. Yeah. Um, but definitely, I think when I brought it to Edinburgh, it was really fascinating because it showed me uh, possibly the difference in um, culture too, in um, what we're allowed to talk about what we're not, yep. And so I find that when I do it in LA, there's a lot more leeway than there was in Edinburgh, possibly.
0: Yeah, with a little be- bit British and stiff up a lip, and yeah, a little bit, yeah, more, yeah, less open, maybe in some ways. Although that is changing, thankfully. You know, it's much more a conversation, and mental health is much more out there, and yeah, and me too, thank God, is much more out there.
1: Yeah, yeah, it is, and there and there were signs at Edinburgh. There were signs all around campus of, um, you know, really uh, impactful PSAs on sexual assault reporting and all these different things. But it was fascinating to me because when I promoted it, if I said, "Oh, this is a show about the psychological impact of sexual assault," people would go, "Ooh!" But if I said, "Oh, this is a show about mental health," people would say, "Oh, okay." Yeah. So it's really interesting the yeah. words.
0: Yes. Yes. And, and I do think, you know, we need to, to carry on whether there is a or a not because yeah. there is a need for it. And, you know, I, I, I'm not an expert in this area. I mean, it's part of my backstory, as you know, as well. But, you know, I think in universities and places all over the UK, I, I'm not sure how many shows like yours or Conversations or people there are even going in and keynoting on their experiences of sexual abuse or rape.
1: I don't know. I'm starting yeah. to, I'm starting to look at it more because I uh, that's something I'm moving more into is, is yes. walk is working towards the university. Uh, I, I
0: was just going to say that to you. I, I mean, I, I think that would be an amazing market for you to get into and, and whether you could do a highlighted version of the of, because it's quite long isn't it it's well it's not long but it's you know sometimes if I get a school or a university talk it's like 20 30 minutes and then you're out so you know you can't really do your whole show in 20 or 30 minutes it's
1: yeah yeah, yeah. the show and the show in its entirety is usually is 70 minutes and then we do a talk back yeah. so it's more. I think that the show is more geared to like community engagement and being nice. at a theater. Um, I have presented at, at a trauma studies department at a university and they wanted to see the full show and then we did a talk back. But sometimes people only wanna see segments and then uh, within a structure of, of, of a certain lecture or um, a topic of discussion. And then sometimes I do that in the talk backs. Sometimes I'll focus on Shame, or a focus on doubt, or focus on a certain aspect, and often with panel discussions, I like to bring in diverse uh, viewpoints because I know that is a big uh, problem with the conversation is that it's so narrow, and what people uh, accept as the the dominant narrative on sexual assault, you know, it's usually oh, it's only undergraduates, it's usually you know only party rape and all this stuff, and it's like well, there's so many other Viewpoints and experiences. So, um, with the universities, yes, I would absolutely love to um, bring it there. And I think that that's a big conversation, especially with undergrads. Yeah. What I am finding very interesting is that we concentrate the conversation on undergrads, but like there's a whole lifespan of people experiencing this. Yeah. And I personally experienced it in my late 20s. Right. So, also the the graduate level of, of therapists, I think is really important to see yes. it because it brings PTSD to life and because shattered also integrates the assault, but also integrates it within the context of childhood. Yes. Not always sexual abuse, but childhood disorganized. Um, attachment. Attachment.
0: Yeah. yeah, yeah. Which
1: yeah. is which is fascinating to me. And I found that I've seen a lot, I've, I've seen a lot of therapists in my um, my time of healing and they didn't always know what to do with me they That's always, interesting yeah they okay. always were able to give me interventions that hit at a piece of it right but altogether it was very it's just very complex and ter- therapy is it takes time because
0: yeah, it does what 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 do you find because this would be interesting too what did you find worked and what didn't necessarily worked and which part of the shattered and you doing that healing process through writing and performing how did that how did they all integrate together and in the modalities and what bits really worked for you I guess I'm asking and what bits would you go oh no that just didn't do it for me
1: yeah I I look I look at every therapist I've seen and what they've brought me and I think that it's all built upon each other Yeah, um, which has been brilliant and also as I was going through it didn't always feel great either no, so, you no. know I, I talk about this with a smile but like it's been a long process yeah um we did um definitely tapping into my creativity once I was able to write and I was able to get out my um my feelings about the assault in like a, with my pen and in a, a fantastical way yes It wasn't overnight, but it gave me a tool to reframe and it gave me a tool to to write my anger in a way that I uh, could start letting it in. Because I think until recently, I haven't even really allowed my anger in because it's been so, so much. And of course, that's a whole other piece of the story that I could talk a lot on. Um,
0: Well, I'm not surprised the little that I know about your history why anger has so been
1: disavowed
0: in your life?
1: Oh, yes. Yes, it's been, um, yeah. it's been interesting. It's also been interesting to understand the manifestations of how I've turned it in on myself yeah. as, as a tool to uh, manage anger. Yeah, yeah. And so I didn't, I didn't know that. But now, once I started learning about the brain and learning about attachment styles, that for me has been like leaps and bounds, yeah. very effective. Yeah. Um, EMDR was yeah. very effective for a while. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't do it anymore. Um, but in the early days, I did the EMDR, and that was very effective. Yeah. Uh, of course, expressive arts have been effective. Um, with shattered, stepping into my story and telling it publicly was very effective. However, there was residual. Yeah. Uh, psychological impact of that, even though I was in therapy. So I really tell people to take care of themselves and to have Um, self-care. And then slowing down meditation has been very effective. Um, I had a therapist that would always be like, you know, I would catastrophize a lot. And um, she would say, you don't know, you don't know what's going to happen next. And I'd be like, you're right. Something as simple as that.
0: Yes. And
1: with creating the characters, that that has been so effective for me because I, you know, I talk about show my show Shattered, and Shattered, I talk about all the characters and have fun and blah, blah, blah. But if I have to be 100% honest, these came out of necessity. You know, I would be bombarded with shame and I would be just, it ruled my life. And then by popping into a character, even in my everyday life, to answer that shame. Yes. Was leaps and bounds very therapeutic for me because I was able to then uh, not listen to that voice of shame anymore. Yeah. Um, or even before I get on um, interviews, I'll have a lot of nerves and I'll play my character of Mortified, who is my um, character of insecurity and embarrassment. Yeah. He's mortified. <laughs> He's like this. <laughs> And so I'll play that to get the energy out.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Sounds amazing. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So that's been great for me. Yeah.
0: And it's interesting, isn't it? Because I think when we can add humor or step back or observe or take another angle on something, it gives us a kind of wide focus lens. And, you know, we're not in it so much, are we? We're not you know it's it's a way almost not of dissociating because we don't want to dissociate but maybe of detaching with love in a way or just stepping back and mindfully being aware and observing ourselves with a bit of curiosity rather than judgment
1: yeah yeah so i don't know exactly within the brain what's happening but yeah you're right it's like it's like i almost step out and become the observer.
0: Yeah, what's actually happening is that we have a medial frontal cortex, which is this bit in the brain. And this is the prefrontal cortex and this is the medial frontal. So this part is more the analyzing, rationalizing, judging. And often with clients, I will say, or people, this is kind of like can be our more critical parent voice oh, you should have done that. I mean, it judges and it analyzes. So sometimes it can judge and analyze us. Whereas if we're from here and we're stepping back and we're noticing, a noticing brain has got a link down to our amygdala, which is the alarm part of the the brain. So it actually slows it down and calms it down, whereas this part can't. And also this is more of a compassionate frame you know, when we're noticing, or we're just curious, or we're, you know, are stepping back a bit, we're, we're much less judgy of ourselves. And I mean, that's such a huge part of our trauma recovery journey, isn't it? To start to hold that place of, you know, it wasn't my fault, I didn't do anything wrong. You know, it, it was, you know, it's nothing to do with me, I'm okay. You know, we take away all of that self-blame and shame and all those really unhelpful parts of it just going kind of they're there it's all right you know I'm kind of yeah. here so I think you're doing that already by the sounds of it through you know through a, a, a lens of doing it in a brilliant actor's way really it's a great way of you containing and holding it.
1: You know? oh
0: part of the reintegration process.
1: Oh, thank you.
0: That's how you see it though, isn't it too a little bit. That's how you've yeah. managed yeah. it.
1: I knew that I know that there's um for me it's 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 fun in many ways to play the characters. Yeah. But I knew and I knew there's the uh, therapeutic components in it, especially as I learn more about parts work. Um yeah but I didn't necessarily know the neurobiology behind it. Yeah. Um, and so it's, it's, it's just really helpful for me to know what's happening in the brain. Yeah. I think it also, it allows me to be like, oh, this is an organ that works in a very specific way. And yeah. once I can understand that too, I can be like, oh, yes, I can do things to enhance the, the, the way that the brain will work that mm-hmm. will serve me yes. as opposed to the way that it's attacked me. Yes. But it's always attacked me out of a desire for love. I mean it it was trying to keep me safe. Totally. It it just wasn't going the right way, you know. (laughs) Yeah, Um, yeah.
0: yeah. And all these parts really, whatever the parts are doing, you know, their ethos is there is to keep us safe, but you know, they fight at the wrong time or they flee at the wrong time or they freeze at the wrong time, you know, that because of old coping strategies. So I guess, I guess the overall is, is that we have to learn to love all of the parts.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, and I, it's, it's so interesting as you were saying that I felt, uh, as you were explaining the brain, I felt it here. And I felt like really old, old feelings of like a very younger self yeah. um, feeling um, almost seen and heard, like it yeah. was, I really feel that like body work also really supports me in this Yes, um, and my next chapters of Shattered really deal with, with fear and nurture and these very, very young parts of me um, and also I think that the way the body reacts in trauma, oftentimes we can judge ourselves. And I know for myself, the, the freeze response was something that I definitely judged myself yes or yes. within the assault that I talk about in the show yes. and earlier yeah. in my history yes and it's a survival strategy and yeah. but it's hard to uh it's hard to cognitively let go sometimes of that
0: yes yes
1: those feelings of blame yeah. that arise sometimes
0: yeah and I think that blame is always there with freeze I know you know and I don't think I've ever met Anybody, I'm just trying to rack my 20 years of um, dealing with survivors of some description. I don't think I've met anybody who doesn't feel that, or a part of them doesn't feel that when the body is frozen. But you're you're absolutely right. That's all it can do because it cannot fight and flight in that situation.
1: No. So
0: it's a survival mechanism that goes on out of any conscious thought so yeah to try and get that across to anybody that's been through any form of sexual assault that is going to happen it's a given I know there is nothing any of us can do in that situation other than do that and it probably saved our lives
1: yeah yeah I know it's just so hard to uh I think it feels I think just talking from a person, at the client perspective, I guess. Yes. Um, I I often tell people I, I'm not a practitioner. I'm not. I'm a I'm a peer, yeah. so I often give it from the client perspective. And I think that um, for me, it really, it, it felt like a betrayal of my body. It feels yeah. like my spirit was betrayed by my body, but that's actually not the truth. No. The truth is that I, it was a survival mechanism to keep yeah. my spirit safe. Yeah. But yeah. yeah, it's it's very different the uh, what we can feel in our hearts versus what we feel in our body. Yes. That we know logically. That's yes. what I meant
0: to say. Yes. Yes, I think so too. And I think, you know, the head and the heart and the gut have different, very different brains in themselves. And, you know, we have to think back to what's associated with what. And, um, you know... I always say to people, if you're gonna come from anywhere, if you've got a cho- an option of three and it's head, heart, or gut, I would go heart all the time. Oh, Yeah. yeah. I would go heart all the time because heart is the balance between the head and the gut. And the head and the gut, sometimes if it's the prefrontal cortex, it, 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 it thinking doesn't always quite get it. You know, we're feeling creatures, and sometimes gut to me can be linked up to old fears. But if we come from the heart, and you know, we're seeing this much more being out there as kind of an embodied and having done our work. If we come from our heart, normally that's our wiser adult present moment self.
1: Uh-huh. interesting yeah
0: so I always say come from the heart and coming from your heart what's next for you now where are you gonna take all of this what are your plans
1: um well I you know in the process of doing this I've started to really open up my heart much more Um, I don't know if I had a connection to my heart prior
0: I think with trauma it's very difficult and if we've got attachment and intimacy and avoidance we are very shut down often because you know it's difficult to connect isn't it if you're not in your heart how can we really resonate and tune into somebody.
1: Yeah yeah I for a long time I felt like I was just ahead yeah. Yeah. And then, um, so I've started to work, work on my, opening up my heart and compassion. And that's really definitely, especially with the show and you know, trust and how I'm gonna step into relationships. And um, work-wise, I am looking to expand Shattered, to bring it to universities, to work with therapists and um, trauma specialists, um, because I really would love to, I want to make mental health accessible and fun Yeah, and within a safe context. So I I don't know quite what that looks like. I don't know if it looks like me going to graduate school and getting a PhD. I've explored that route. I've explored partnering with, um, you know, trauma foundations or uh, therapists, university departments. And I'm looking at bringing writing Shattered into a series so I could possibly bring it to TV and film. Um, And then I'm I'm now writing my next chapters, which um, I love how they're turning out too. So I've also explored doing a book. Um, so there's a lot of different ways I'm going. I'm just, I'm trying to understand uh, what what the next step is, but I also have a whole um, pathway for future. So, yeah. so we'll see. Um, but I really, I, I love what I've created out of some very, very difficult experiences and You know if i've done it then other people can do it too yeah and i there's a i know there's like a a joyful life that i'm living and i have the capacity for this amazing creativity that i think everyone has the capacity for so i really just want to share that with 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 people who might be in hard spots
0: yeah And I think, you know, for you, the post-traumatic growth element of it has been huge because, you know, I, I think in therapy, you know, if we can get people to write something or journal or write it out and then to actually speak it out, you know, I mean, you've done both and you've done it in front of an audience, which is... Which is huge, you know, because a lot of people listening to this would, their shame wouldn't allow them to speak it out. But it is part of the process and a huge part of the process. So, you know, I guess listening to you, I hope we can encourage some people listening to start even writing and expressing in some format what's happened to them and their stories and their lives.
1: Yeah, yeah, and it doesn't even have to be literal. You know, it can be done in shapes.
0: It can it's be a, done in shapes and different yeah. ways, so it doesn't have to be in word.
1: It doesn't have to be literal. It's, um, it can be done in, I think that dance has been really helpful for me because it was yeah. able to get in my body things that I wasn't able to speak. Yeah. Um, I also find that in doing the show, because I present my story, People can step into it and feel seen without having to engage. Yes. Without having to speak their truth. Yes. So in some ways, I wonder if that's um, if that's a piece of it, is that it, it helps people in a, a much more distant way.
0: Well, I think it does, because I think people identify with our stories and parts of our stories. Because... Whether they've experienced quite the same story or a different story, we've all experienced the kind of um, similar human emotions of shame and fear and regret and loss, etc. So, I think on a very human heart to heart level, we can connect always with that, can't we?
1: Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I agree. Well, that's one of my favorite things about the show is afterwards hearing what character people relate to most so some people it will be truth they love truth uh I have friends where they love panic and so they'll just panic is like Diana it's panic I mean panic is horrible yeah. but they'll every time they see me they go hi, you know, and I'm like, oh, God. <laughs> yeah, um,
0: right, yeah. Some
1: people, they love, uh, you know, everyone loves denial. Denial's like, hi, I'm denial. Yeah. Like, that's one thing is that denial shows up very, very differently in everyone's lives. Yes. But even by doing my character to me, they connect with me on an unspoken way.
0: Yes, yes, yeah. So
1: that's really fun for me. And I think also what I realize is, the show takes people through a variety of different um, experiences of violation, sometimes very minor. Sometimes, of course, I talk about the major one, the assault. Um, but some variation of that often has happened to people. Yeah. Where it might not have been my exact story, but it there are elements within theirs.
0: Yes. 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 There are certainly many people out there that have experienced it on some in some way shape or form and and you know thank you for having a voice for those people or should I say 56 voices (laughs) you know because it's much needed and it's you know it's 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 very inspiring and what you're doing is great and I'm just delighted that you joined us for a bit on the Trauma Thrivers podcast today. And uh, excited to hear about part two and the childhood stuff. Yay. Thank you,
1: thank you so much. I love your community. It's, it's so wonderful. And thank you so much for your work and all the people that are doing amazing, amazing.
0: Ah. Well, well, I hope that we're going to see you more in our Facebook group at some point. And maybe doing a live show one day would be, you know, Ooh, might be yeah. an interesting idea. But yeah, I hope whoever was listening today it was useful for and, and it would be great to keep connected.
1: Yes, I would love to. This has been a really lovely, informative discussion and thank you so much. Thank you for everything you do.
0: Oh, pleasure. Likewise, and we'll catch up very soon.
1: Okay, yay.
0: Thanks so much for listening to today's podcast. I hope it helped you in some way and I really hope to see you back here soon. If you have anything to share on today's experience or podcast, please nip over to the YouTube channel or the Facebook group Trauma Thrivers and let us know there.